Hi, and welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me as always is Nick Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. And joining us from the booth is Rick Deal. Hey, Rick. Hey, what's up, guys? So this is a renaissance. It's a rebirth. We're coming to you live from the apocalypse, which is pretty fun. And uh, it's been some time since uh, I took a little time off to uh, have a child and to uh, finish my PhD. And Nick has been traveling the world and doing various things, and uh, Rick has been doing other various things. And we are coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee. And it's a pretty exciting time to be alive, right? I'm pumped. I'm thrilled. Rick? Exciting is certainly one word that could be used. So, will we die? Who can say? Will we have fun? Most certainly. Tonight's topic, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to kind of dive into, is what is the limitation of belief and politics like how far can you really take it I've, I've seen a lot of internets lately nick and uh the internet has seemed to say that certain people cannot vote for certain other people and i was just wondering do you have a take on this yeah i mean you see it all the time <laughs> i see it all the time bunch of people if you vote for donald trump you are you can't be a buddhist that might actually be true though <laughs> okay i don't right. know all right i don't want to speak for them but I, I, I've definitely seen, like, you kill, you know, if you voted for Donald Trump, you kill babies. If you're thinking about voting for a Democrat, you're for killing babies. 100%. A lot of baby death, like, a lot of conversation. Rick, when is the last time that you've been accused of killing babies? What is the statute of limitations on this? All right, we're going to move on. So here's the conversation. Uh, a lot of times you'll see people talk about, well, if you have a certain faith tradition, if you have a certain background, if you have certain moral or ethical commitments, then you can't do X political thing. And I, I think it's really interesting because at the end of the day, I think a lot of interpretation is involved. And if Nick and I have done anything over the years, it's a lot of interpretation. Yeah. It's a lot of talking about texts and talking about what is allowed, what what's a okay interpretation, whether that's a Kubrick film, whether that's a shirt that Beyonce makes, whether that's something else. So I wanted to open it up by basically saying, is there a kind of political ideology that is off limits to a person who calls themselves a Christian? Since most of the people that we know either are Christians or they've rejected Christianity and therefore are still living on some kind of Judeo-Christian footing. Is there such a thing as a political philosophy or a political ideology that's off limits? Well, there must be. Well, there's got to be something, yeah, right? There's, there's got to be some sort of anti-Jesus kind of political There's philosophy. something. I mean, I think that the narrative that you, that politics and religion has absolutely nothing to do with each other is... Either that means that your politics is anemic or your religion is. Like, they, they can't both be, like, robust living things and then you tell me that they have no bearing on each other. Yeah, like, how is it possible for your religion and your politics to both be real? Yeah. Like, think of Christianity. This is something that tells us the value of a human life. Obviously, when you do political calculus, if you already have, like, a Mago Day. And, like, 
everyone is an image of Christ. And, like, all the stuff in the background, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Kill the old. We need our economy. So, for example, just to be really extreme, you couldn't say if you make over $10 million a year, you live. And if you make less than that, you die. Yeah. That would probably be a not-Christian response. Yes. I think you'd have to have a very intricate, probably forced Christian narrative behind that. Just say something like, you have to be incredibly wealthy or you're not allowed to live (laughs) or something like that. And Rick, I was wondering, you're the producer, you're the person that's putting this together. When you were growing up, did you hear anything that would indicate that there were limited political options for someone who had a certain faith commitment? Yeah, I would say growing up in the church and just kind of experiencing the typical uh, culture that was there politically, the the go-to stances were um, regarding the value of life and then also uh, typically a lot of intrinsic moral beliefs. So there was a lot of you must vote for this party because of their moral or ethical stances and how that coincides with Christianity. Yeah, I remember like you and I, Rick, were at a concert. We were teenagers and there was a band playing that you and I were both really into. And I was shocked, shocked to hear the the front man of the band, whose name is Reese Roper. Mm -hmm. He said something that we talked about after i mean we were teenagers this was 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and he said you know other than this issue this one issue abortion i am a democrat and i had never heard like i'd never heard like from that mix from that cultural mix someone basically say that and i was kind of i had to like talk to people about it because Mm -hmm. even though i hadn't grown up in it it was kind of that thing where my imagination was so limited in terms of what could someone possibly be convicted about? Like, mm-hmm. what, what are the issues that someone could possibly care about that would cause them to vote one way or the other? Right. I would even go so far as to say for that particular individual who uh, I, I will definitely say is one of my favorite uh, poets and front men of all time. It was particularly jarring for me uh, and in my kind of sheltered world at the time just because it was the first time I had ever heard someone I genuinely respected and looked up to um, as a Christian specifically, and they were espousing that particular viewpoint. So it was definitely a, a jarring experience for me. Yeah, and I, I guess that leads me to, to a question. So if there are certain things that are off limits to someone who claims like, hey, I'm a Christian, this is my faith, this is sort of what's important to me, and everyone has a different opinion on them, are there some, are there things that you know Nick being a little left of me and uh, and I don't know where Rick stands but um, are there things that we could agree that are like probably off limits besides like killing everybody all the time like are there things that seem like so outside the norm that we could say not even the context of the United States are there things that we could say like hey if this is your political philosophy this might run into some problems with Christianity. Yeah. I think anything that has a high capacity for human collateral. So it's like if you're willing to kill like a bunch of people to get some other thing. Kill or let die. And I think that's very important. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of political philosophies are like, oopsie, like... (laughs) Didn't mean it. (laughs) Didn't mean it. Ayn Rand told me something in this like fever dream and I had an erection and she was like... Hey, 
you should like everyone gets what they deserve that's called money duh and then you're like at the end of it and it's like oh well if you don't have enough money to pay for health insurance you don't have enough money to pay for health insurance at the end Mm -hmm. and i think like wherever you fall on that issue as a christian cool like that's between you and the lord but like there are like obvious considerations to make you can't have someone like do you really think jesus would be like oh this person's like dying from an illness sucks that they didn't work hard enough because i'm so into working hard enough for things that's why i'm a homeless street preacher like you know so there's just there's narratively i think that's what the key is so i've heard some very strong narratives conservative narratives that take the christian faith they apply it they say hey look we've learned things that men are by nature sinful Mm -hmm. or they are corrupt so any type of large government thing by definition because men are corrupt Mm -hmm. will be corrupt super corrupt super corrupt yeah and therefore i'm very into limited government and that's cool that's really cool i also think you can make really strong arguments in the opposite i'm not really answering your question i guess i guess i just don't know how you would make an argument that's like oh yeah i'm like a hundred two hundred thousand people might die and it's no biggie because like i think for me personally i think i have a pretty expansive i want to be charitable to people and i want to try to see where they're coming from so if someone said hey guys i'm a christian monarchist i'd be like that's really interesting. Like, that's not my, that's not where I would like some democracy. I'd like people to be able to have some sort of say in their life. Mm-hmm. But like, tell me why. Like, what what would be, what what are the wins for a monarchy? Like, what, yeah. what, are, what are the positives? Because honestly, until like 300 years ago, that was the best game in town. And, and to be clear, we're also not talking about things that are right or wrong politically. We're just talking about if it's capable of even functioning without there being right like yeah does it strain credulity in other words like obviously you're not a monarchist but correct you would be willing i'd like to hear why somebody would be a monarchist like what what would be the like for example for example if your country gets a virus and a lot of people are sick if you're a monarchist you just shut things down you say hey I'm the king or queen. I'm the sun king. Yeah, I'm the sun king. Yeah. Le moi. Like, yeah. I am going to no shut this. No more orgies at Versailles. <laughs> Just done. shut it down. Yeah. No more grapes. Stop yeah. eating grapes. Whatever it is. What have yeah. you. Well, this is a classic. I mean, like, the re- you know the problem that we've talked about this before. But the problem do with monarchy. <laughs> yeah, you do. Because the problem with monarchy is just. <laughs> Inbreeding? <laughs> well, that's a big one. Yeah. But they look so good. Yeah, with the with the, the yeah. strong lower jaw. Yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> hey. No one can resist a Habsburg. Yeah. I'm so glad they live in Los Angeles now. That's so progressive. <laughs> um, I, what I was going to say is, we've said this a hundred times, like it's, if you have the right person in the position, then yeah. It's great. But like if we lived in a, you know, not to be super topical... But if we lived in a Trump, if Trump was actually a monarch and he could be like, hey, this is a rule I just made up, we'd live in a hellscape because it'd be like Alice in Wonderland. Like every single day it'd be like, hey, by the way, today's Wednesday now because Trump said so. And like we'd just be in a hellscape. 
But there would be a lot of dick tots. Yeah. And so I think as a culture, we've been like, hey, it's probably a good idea to like spread this power out just in case we get someone who's like mm-hmm. so inbred, they don't even have object permanence and then they're on a throne <laughs> and they're like making war decisions. Yeah. Sorry. So basically, Sir Nicholas. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> the object permanent thing, it really gets me. Yeah. Um, it's a great. All right. We, we've, we've, we've talked. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've talked a bit about the limits of this. Now, I think one important thing to, to talk about is the fact that sometimes, as historical beings, as people living in a certain context, our context can be limited, right? We can be like, oh, a Democrat is as different as it can get from a Republican, right? Those are the two opposite things. But in reality, there's probably, not probably, there is a much broader spectrum of thought, right? There's people who are anarchists. There are people who are libertarians, there are people who are monarchists, there are people who are fascists. So it's not that um, the American kind of mainstream political um, thought stream captures all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, like, even through reading literature or watching movies, has there ever been a system or an approach to government that you thought, oh, wow, that's like completely different than anything I ever thought. Maybe we should give that a try. Like, is there anything that's ever captivated your imagination? Because I, I have one, if you don't. So mine is By like, means. so I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a fairly conservative guy. But I was always captivated by the idea of a kibbutz. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're, like, familiar with the idea of a kibbutz. It's like an Israeli communist farm thing where, like, children are raised by everyone. And it's just an interesting thing because it actually exists. Like it's not a fantasy. It's not. It's not a fictional reality. Like people mm-hmm. actually do this and have mm-hmm. done this for for many years. And I always thought it was interesting that this was an option for people that they said, "Okay, you know what's the most important thing? It's community." And I'm gonna like really lean into that. And I'm going to my kids are gonna be their kids, and their kids are gonna be my kids. And we're all gonna farm together, and we're all gonna live a simple life, and we're all and. Until I knew about kibbutzim, which are multiple kibbutzes, um, I didn't know that this was like a thing that people did. And I just thought of it as kind of a fantasy, but it is a thing that exists. And I, I, I don't think I'd ever tell, a, I'm a Christian, and I would ever tell a Christian person, hey, you can't live on a kibbutz. Like, that's, a to- that's off limits for you. And so that was one thing for me that kind of opened up. It was kind of like the Reese Roper moment of like, oh, this was a thing I hadn't considered before. I hadn't considered that you could be this thing and also that thing at the same time. I don't know if either, if anyone has had that same experience of like, I had never considered that someone could be this thing and also this other thing at the same time, but I just found that really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that was my experience at Taylor. Like, Taylor is a conservative Christian school in the middle of cornfields in Indiana and even coming from the church that we all grew up in I was very surprised to meet political philosophy professors who were like yeah um, I'm a communist so yeah and that's like, different for conservative Christianity yeah and growing up at Calvary to say the name but it's you just think wow I I didn't even consider the possibility that you could be in that category. And now I think the challenge for myself, I don't want to jump the conversation, but I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle to imagine a really thoughtful Christian supporting Donald Trump. 
I can imagine them being a one-issue voter and really being hard-lined about abortion and holding their nose and just, like, that's the issue that they vote politically on, which, like, sure. But I would love to know what narrative could be constructed to put Donald Trump in a position. A narrative that succeeds by its own standards. I'm not even asking for it to challenge me or convince me i'm just asking for it to by what it's trying to do by supporting donald trump and that's really where i'm at personally yeah i think an interesting exercise would be and this is always something that i try to do is to place yourself in the position of your opponent and so this is a game it's a game and that's all that we're gonna play a game i love those here we go here we go i and i'll start And the game is this. Give your best pitch for a person who, in this context, claims some kind of Christian faith, who is way different than you politically. And so I'll start and I'll say, I'm going to give uh, the case for being a Christian, like a really convicted Christian, who is a Bernie Sanders voter. And supporter. I'm going to start, and then anyone who wants to do something similar can do something similar. So here, here's my case. <clears throat> there are, in the United States of America, uh, there are uh, millionaires and billionaires. There are people who have a lot of money. There are people who have so much money, they don't even know what to do with it. These people are bored. These people have come to worship the money that they have made they are divorced from reality they actually are kind of wasting their money a lot of it's in bank accounts a lot of it is money that's making money a lot of it's on this thing called the stock stock market that can go up and down without any kind of reality happening besides people just being afraid right things billions of dollars of wealth can be lost or gained in a day based on people's feelings and, and you have these this class, this wealthy class, these children, and I think of my own children, who are raised in such wealth that they're just non-persons. They don't know how to solve problems. They don't know how to do the things that they should know how to do. They don't have to work hard because everything is solved for them with the money that their parents made, either by skill or by intellect or by chance or by the system or by connections. And it's not fair. It's not fair that there are millions of people who are suffering, who don't have enough, and that there are a a, a few people, a few thousand people, even a couple of hundred of thousands of of people who have so much they don't even know what to do with it. And it's, it's absurd and it's morally bankrupt. And what should happen is there should be a strong central authority that redistributes this wealth in such a way that it can be more justly used by people who need it not by people who don't even know what to do with it. And so the reason that I, a fictional Bernie Sanders supporter, support Bernie Sanders is that Jesus Christ would vote for Bernie Sanders because he is fair to the little guy. He's upholding the cause of the weak and the powerless. He is taking it to the rich and the comfortable. And there is um, there is a there is, there is a balance to that. 
that we're taking from the people who don't need it and we're giving to the people who need it. And clearly, this is one of the things that Jesus tried to do. He tried to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And therefore, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders because he's the only candidate for office in the United States of America that will actually help poor people uh, have a better life and reach rich people to stop living in the bubble of wealth that they've always lived in and seen. That was really good. Thank you. That was really good. That's not, those aren't the reasons that I vote, or I would vote for him. Well, that was my version. That's what I think. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think for the majority of people, that is, that's the narrative for sure. And I don't think it's a bad one. I don't think it's an unchristian one. I I think there's a legitimate case to be made that people being super rich is a bad thing. Jesus does seem to say that. That is a thing. Like, people like having so much money, they can't think about what they would like to do with that money. Do you want me to try to do a conservative one? I want you to... uh, If I could have my way, I would have you do a serious attempt. A serious attempt. I can't promise. Remove the adjective. There will be an attempt. An attempt at... at why Why would a person who has legitimate Christian convictions vote for Donald Trump? If not a serious attempt, a legitimate one. I can't do Donald Trump. That's what I have questions on. I can give you Mitt Romney. I can give you... Give me George W. Bush. I can give you George W. Bush. Give me George W. Right Bush. now. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Let me channel my mom in 2000. Um, like, that go really it. great stuff here. Poor kitten. I'm glad you don't listen to these. <laughs> but What's a podcast? Um, okay, let me put on the character. I think this is me as a character. This is not Nick Seagrass, as you probably already know. But I think that the crux of human interaction and of human life is decision-making. And I think that, obviously they wouldn't say this, but I'm I'm trying to give them the best groundwork as possible. But, like... When it really comes down to it, you are the decisions you make. And so whether you come from wealth or you come from poverty or you come from the middle class, which is totally real and definitely not eroding, like you are making decisions every single day that decide, you know, is your family going to be cared for? Are you learning skills that are valuable? Are you staying in school? Are you not getting women pregnant that you don't know? Are you living a life that is not just moral, but really just responsible? Like, Mm -hmm. we don't even have to talk about morality. It's irresponsible to have seven children that from different mothers. That's just economically irresponsible. And I think that, you know, our society, by pushing these narratives of personal freedom and as, as sex of, you know, sex and self-actualization and stuff like that, they've kind of overemphasized the fact that you still live in reality. Like, even if you want to be a millionaire sex demon or whatever you want to be, you have to go to work, you have to pay your bills, things have to get done. And I think that our culture 
is one in which people, and this is a George W. Bush voter, I think this is a completely different narrative for Trump. But at the time, I think our culture is moving in a direction where we're turning our back on the things that made our country different and powerful in the first place. And that was an understanding of the value of having a strong family, of having a community, of having a understood moral identity as a nation that we don't do these things. We are a people and a culture that is good. We are good people. And part of that goodness comes from our Americanism, and that is tradition. And that's not something to lord over you, but it's something to that was created and enshrined because it works. Like the American ideal is the best way to live right now. Who else wouldn't want to be in our country. We have people trying to come in here all the time saying that America is a land of opportunity and what makes it a land of opportunity is that we don't allow a gigantic government, barring the military, come into our personal lives and decide things for us. Like if the rich are very rich, maybe, just maybe, it's because they put in those extra hours and they were willing to make those risks. Like. There's a huge difference between you working at a corporate job and the CEO. Like if the company flounders, his neck's on the line, you can just hopefully get another job. So, you know, it, yeah. but like, so that would be my thing. It's like, it's very, I can see, and to bring it into Christianity, Jesus teaches us to take responsibility for our own actions. He's not someone who's like, wait for Caesar to figure out everything and just do whatever. And as we've seen from the past, when the government tries to figure out everything, quote unquote, we end up really screwed. And so it's probably much better to let people make that decision on their own terms. Am I doing a good job? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty yeah. good, like... Middle of the road Republican before 2016. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, everything I, is absolute chaos. You said Bush. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, Rick, I'm not going to give you a hard one. I'm going to give you an easy one. And it's this. For you, what is something that unites the the left of center voter and the right of center voter in the uh, voter in the United States of America. What's something that you see, especially Christians that are like, is there anything that anyone agrees on at all? Like, is there anything in the political spectrum that you could see like a Donald Trump voter and a Bernie Sanders voter or Joe Biden? Is there anything that most, not all that most people agree with about like, you could call it the American dream. You could call it like, just what we've grown up in. Is there still anything that anyone or 75% of us could even consider like what it means to be an American politically? Because I think after this, we're going to talk about like things that are outside of the American political thing. So what is it, if anything, what does it mean to be like an American politically? So I'm going to throw out a bumper sticker cliche, and then I'm going to try and explain and qualify it. And I'm going to start with, freedom and prosperity and the pursuit of happiness those things those things that mean something completely different to everyone yeah. who is on various 
points in this. It's not even different sides of a party line. At this point, it legitimately is a spectrum. Yeah. And so whether it is, um, let's say, prosperity, there are those who believe that the way to help people move up in class is to create more social programs and more funding and more opportunities to put money into the hands of the people who needed to be able to pay bills and to buy food and to get medical care. On the other side, there are people who, if we are assuming positive intent, which I think that's the goal of this right now, on the opposite side of that, people who say we should be creating infrastructure so that people can earn wealth for themselves so that they can work their way up that structure and so that way it is then a repeatable thing they can pass on to their children if it is for safety and that's the element of prosperity there are those who say we should have more guns there are those who say we should have less guns again if we're assuming positive intent both people on either side of that argument their goal is less people die yeah their goal is we all get to go to sleep and feel safe and know that our families are all going to be alive and well in the morning. That is what we are after. And so for me, those are the intrinsic values that wherever you stand, those I think are what we're working towards. And we just may all have different views of how to get there, but those are the things that, and to, to put it into a Christian perspective, obviously for prosperity, it should be prosperity for all of us. It should be not just looking to see how am I succeeding, but how are the people to my left and right doing? If I am doing well, if I am prospering, how am I supporting other people? Because even the element of how Jesus called the church to support people, um, and I'm not going to get into the argument, but there are some who will say, well, so that means that the government should support everyone. Others will say, well, that means the church needs to step up their game and they need to support everyone. Mm -hmm. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But those are the types of things that I think we can all agree on are goals we are trying to work towards. We just may not agree on the means to get there. Yeah, and I think that's like a pretty good representation of the broad spectrum of American politics. And something that I think is, is pretty interesting is, is there, and this is a more challenging question, is there a form of political organization or action or anything that you could even possibly strain and be charitable enough to say, yeah, this is totally outside of the mainstream of American politics, but I could see how a person with Christian convictions could live out this political vision rather than anything in between, let's say... Um, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Is there anything that you could stretch your imagination to consider, hey, this is something that is totally outside of my experience or mostly outside of like what I would think is normal, but I think that this could be like a, I think this could be a legitimate expression of like Christian faith, but in the political sphere. And it's okay if the answer is no. I mean, I could see a case for fascism. So give me that case. Okay, so obviously I'm not down with this. Duh. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. That is but, very important that that yeah. comes before the following but, <laughs> but it's... Um, you know what the blogosphere is going to say about you? 
Yeah. Because this is a hot podcast. If there's anyone who loves fascism, <laughs> it's me. I, I think if you could, and this is just pure fantasy, if you could come up with a way to create and select your ubermensch, your, like, god king, and you, through... They had to go through seminary, and they've taken sociopath tests, and they've So, learned... like, they choose the Dalai Lama. Yeah. It would be like a fascist theocracy, in which you could say, hey, wouldn't it be really Gucci if a guy or a lady or, or anything in betwixt, <laughs> like, it's totally fine, becomes, like... God ruler emperor of the society and they because of this training educational process we've kind of socially bred this super Christian ruler who will be able to make decisions like hey a lot of people are suffering right now because of this big huge event and so I'm a huge Christian ruler I have absolute power I can just go, this issue is solved. And wouldn't that be cool? There wouldn't be a Congress involved. There wouldn't be this hope of charities one day. Gridlock. Yeah. Gridlock in terms of the left side, the right side is always this like promised hyper scaling of charities, which I guess I hope happens, but it's just the expectation. But either one of those things not happening you have this person who can skip everything and just say, we have a huge coronavirus. I am a Christian. I know every life is valuable. I don't care what it takes. We're going to do beep, boop, 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 boop. Obviously red flags with yes. most issues of fascism, which is even the most theologically trained and holy person is still subjected to their own limited view. And so, obviously, a huge group of 50 people making decisions allows those decisions to be more varied and have different viewpoints and things that someone might not even be aware of. Some senator in Pennsylvania can be like, actually, that's something that we talk about all the time. So here we go into it. So, so you doubt that there is a single person, no matter how trained, no matter how holy no matter how educated that could run a country that could make decisions for 350 million people you just think that's not going to happen no not a person although i could see and this is a huge left turn stay with me here here we go but if a christian commune developed a super ai okay. that was perfectly controlled and had the parameters of Christian morality, whatever that is. I'm into this. And it, through its infinite processing powers, yeah. could make these large-scale decisions. I could see that being a possibility. Yeah. Of course, we'd have to constantly make sure that it wasn't self And naturally, that would be a manifestation of many consciousnesses. Yeah. We're kind of distilling the wide range of democracy through the programming. Yeah. We're yeah. putting a bunch of human voices. Speaking of that, Rick, left left turn, off the left turn. Couldn't you give us the case for a pure democracy? Just like if, if Christians just got together, if people of faith, if people of hopefully goodwill got together and just said, 
pure democracy, one person, one vote, go for it. Is there any silver lining to that? Is there, is there any win from like every single person walking around to have a say and there's no hierarchy and there's no representation. It's just, we all have a little Apple watch and people say, should we blow up the Middle East? And everyone gets a bloop. And if enough, if we get enough bloops, we, we bloop, bloop it. We, 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 <laughs> we bloop, bloop it. <laughs> like for in your mind is pure democracy. Is there anything attractive about that? Certainly there's nothing attractive about it. I mean, everybody likes the idea that their their opinion matters, their vote matters, and to take that even a step farther, that their life matters, what they contribute to the world and society beyond just their day-to-day. Um, everyone would like the idea that that matters, or at least I should say most people. Some people, I'm sure, are perfectly content to, you know, fade to black, and that's fine. But we've known these people. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I would say that that's great with some level of probably accountability. So if everyone gets to have a vote and we're just going to go with that system, that's great. But then there needs to be an understanding and accountability to what the consequences are for that. So I can think of one or two geopolitical examples that I am just not well-versed enough that I'm going to throw out there as a tagline, but let's just say that I vote for, so we're going to do X because I think this is how it should work. But then after we do X, it is discovered that, well, this was actually a really terrible idea Let's say that we decided to go to war with Russia. Okay, let's let's say that. Because they're bad. Or right. whatever. Right? Yeah. And Putin's he Putin's not not great. Mm-hmm, and sure. people and so we do one of our Apple Watch votes mm-hmm. and all three hundred and fifty million, including six year olds, mm-hmm. get a vote. Everyone gets a vote. Everyone gets mm-hmm. a vote. Don't judge me. I'm still upset over what Dolph Lundgren did to um, you know, Sylvester Stallone. A hundred percent. I must break you. Yes. Um so we decide, hey, Putin's a bad guy. Got to go to war. Mm-hmm. 58% of Americans agree. We bloop our Apple Watches and we go for it. What's the downside? Like, what, what's wrong with that? In and of itself, you could say nothing because the majority of people involved won out. So it was the majority view. Uh, but it's more so a matter of if that goes poorly, which... Let's just say that it did. It might. You know, there's, there's a strong chance that it would. For sure. Then there, need, there would need to be some level of understanding that, well, I made this decision and I am culpable for the consequences in some way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that means that, well, that war went poorly, so everybody goes to jail now or to the gulag, depending on how things turn out. Hey. You know. There's enough archipelagos for all of us. Come on. So, but there there should be some level of understanding that, well, maybe uh, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, I think like one thing that's sort of in the background of this conversation is for people who consider themselves Christians, um, who try in some way to be informed by things like the Bible and the Christian traditions, 
that there is a mix of this faith thing where you you hope that God's in control and everything's going to be okay, but also this thing called wisdom where you're trying to say, okay, what is actually the best course of action? Like you have the book of Proverbs and you have just war theory and you have a bunch of other things where people are actually calculating what is the good thing that will come out of this thing. And I think that's, I mean, to, to be very honest, that's where a lot of Western civilization comes out of is people like Augustine or Aquinas or other people thinking and saying, well, this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. This is something we should do. This is something we shouldn't do. And, and what I would say is if you're going to talk about wisdom and you're going to talk about what's good and what's bad, it's hard to ignore things like constitutions. It's hard to ignore things like the Magna Carta. It's hard to ignore things that take into account that human beings have limitations, that everyone's tempted, that everyone can, if given enough power, do bad things. And that's why I'm very thankful that we live in a country that tries to, and I would say with maybe fading effects, it tries to limit the power of any one person. It tries to limit the power of any one faction. It tries to limit the power of even this thing called the people who could vote to go to war with Russia if they saw fit, right? So we're not a pure democracy. We're not a fascist kind of country. And that's something that I'm kind of like happy about. But one thing that I, I don't know if we've represented in this conversation, we've I've, I've talked a little about Bernie Sanders. You've represented George W. Bush. We've gotten some pure democracy in here. Um, I don't know if we, this is gonna sound really funny. I don't know if we've presented the perspective of people who would call themselves anarchists. Our brothers are both Christian anarchists. Yeah, so Christian anarchists. And I think that's a really interesting thing because it's the opposite of this sort of lockdown society, top-down leadership, fascism, or like a really statist communism, or like a super Trumpian American nationalist, everything's top down. We know we know who the dear leader is. There is a possibility, and I don't know if it's probable, that people who say, I follow Jesus and I pray to God, and <coughs> I read the Bible, but like I don't want any government. I just don't want a large power structure to tell me what to do. That's all. It's the opposite of like a the state is doing things, the state is caring for the poor, the state is providing for a national defense, the state is providing programs and education, things of that nature, child care, whatever it is, housing. There is there are there are some people, there is a group of people who believe that maybe there shouldn't be a state at all. Maybe there should just be people. Yeah, they're called Quakers. <laughs> there are Quakers. There are anarchists. And I think it's a really interesting thought. And I, there's a, there's a certain sphere of people that I know that kind of participate in that, and that's pacifists. Pacifists are the anarchists or the, or the Quakers of the war realm. Instead of saying the government should have the ability to prosecute wars the president or the king or the whoever should have the ability to go to war, to pr protect, to defend, to have borders. They basically go, actually, we should not do that at all. We shouldn't do that at all. There should be no borders, really. There should be no, no armies. There should be no national defense. We shouldn't try to force other countries to do our will. We shouldn't really have a foreign policy that's backed by a military. And it might seem like, oh, do those people really exist? Yes, they do. 
and I know them, and I'm friends with a lot of them, that they say, you simply lack imagination if you're a Christian who thinks that we ever have to resort to war. The reality is that God is so able to provide for us that our imaginations are so powerful that we can find ways to never go to war no matter who the enemy is, no matter who's opposing us. And, and that is sort of a Christian anarchist approach to military foreign policy, right? Mm-hmm. Saying we can figure it out on a micro level. Like we can be who we are. We don't have to sacrifice our principles. We don't have to organize ourselves into some sort of higher sort of secular administrative organization. And I just think that's interesting. There are many, many people who exist on that level who say, hey, I'm not interested in giving my safety and my security and my future over to the hands of a government who's willing to do violence against others in order to secure to secure that. And I think it's an interesting thing. I mean, they got the they got the live by the sword but die by the sword thing. Yeah. I mean, I that's something that's kept me up at night of just I mean, not to a constant it's ruining my life degree, but Really, when you look at it from a Christian perspective or any perspective that takes, like, human life seriously, it's just like, oh, these all sucked. Like, every single war sucked. Like, there really wasn't... Even World War Two, which I think is, like, our most moral... The Great War. War. We have all these, like, you know infrastructures around it of nazism and the holocaust and justification but even there it's like that doesn't speak to the german woman who was burnt alive in her apartment during a firebombing of dresden you know and that's not saying like oh the you know dresden bombings are so awful or like all these sort of stuff i really don't know but i think there is like a very particular christian maybe not exclusively Christian, but it definitely lends itself to a pang of like, oh, ow, like, you know, people, mothers of children died. Yeah. Fathers died. Children died. Children died. Like, people starved. Or, you know, with our things with ISIS and things like that. Like, obviously, these are very violent people and they've threatened violence, and it seems like a violent response is, like, in all cases, justified to it. But there's always, like, this hidden underside of, oh, and we also kill 15 civilians while we're doing it. And whose fault is that of the American government or ISIS or whatever? That's all up to debate. But I definitely can see, like, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can definitely see, like, hey, if you really value all life, yes, you'd be super pro-life, but you'd probably also be very pacifist because you you you'd want to, barring the most extreme situations, you'd want to avoid killing. Yeah, you would want to avoid war, if there was any option other than war that could. Yeah. Have less killing. Because I've talked to a lot of these people, and for them, and I don't think this is a completely bad analogy, but war is a huge act of violence over a period of time perpetrated by a few individuals. 
you know, like very rarely is it like, hey, I'm a 19 year old boy and I really love, you know, shooting people, shooting people. And I'm just, I'm just here for that. It's more like these six men and these six men are making decisions that affect thousands and thousands of human lives. And so, of course, at any cost, we'd want to avoid that just because it's applying the same logic. It's the same logic we applied to monarchies. We're applying to violence where instead of it just being power and the execution of power, we're saying, hey, with war, it's these big giant things that a few hopefully good people make decisions on. And maybe we just don't want people making those decisions anymore because I'm sick of seeing my son die. Or I'm sick of seeing, you know, whatever. There's tons of reasons. And I'm definitely not, I don't know if I'm a pacifist or not, but I'm definitely not a for sure one, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I I think in the context of us living in the the United States of America, um, there are pacifists. There are people who go, I'm not down with this, yo. Can I ask you a question, though? Yes. Can you give me a Christian rationale for supporting Trump right now? Yes. Right now. I was gonna. I was gonna get to that. Oh, sorry. I just. No, I no, no that's good. That's good. That's good. So we've heard things, arguments for Bernie Sanders. We've heard arguments for anarchy and mm-hmm. monarchy and fascism and a bunch of other stuff. So surely, if we can, if we can imagine all of these responses, which are many of which are outside of the mainstream of Christian, or of American, I should say, political thought, that I, uh, some, one of us would have to be able to come up with a rationale for voting for Donald Trump. Right now. Not Donald Trump in the primaries, like right now. And I'm about to give it to you. I'm so ready. So, here we go. Donald Trump represents, for many people, and I'm going to assume the character, Represents for me someone who doesn't care about old categories. Someone who doesn't care about Republicans and Democrats, really, because he's he's unlike any Republican you've ever seen, and he's certainly not a Democrat. He doesn't kowtow to the media. He doesn't let the popular opinion of the elites of Washington tell him what to do. He's his own person. He doesn't care if CNN likes him. Maybe he does. He doesn't care if you hate him. There's certainly many millions of people who do. Donald Trump has realized one central fact that no other politician in our lifetime has has realized, which is this. The elites have failed us. The media elites, the government elites, the banker elites, the economic elites, the religious elites, they've all all failed us. They've said that they're looking out for our best interests, but have they? Have they succeeded? Have the people who we elected and the people who even tried to be elected, have they actually succeeded? I would submit to you that they have not. That they've left the little guy behind. That they've let globalists, that they've let people from other countries dictate what we will do as Americans. That they've said, you know what? What Chinese businesses want is more important. What Mexican workers want is more important. What European elites want is more important. You know who's not important? People in Youngstown, Ohio. They're not important. You know who's not important? People in Muncie, Indiana. They're not important. 
they've been left behind. They've been left behind because nobody cares about them, honestly, because they're boring. They're 48-year-old white men. And you know who's exciting? People in Hollywood, people in New York, people in Britain, people in France, people in China. They're, they're exciting, but not Americans. Americans aren't exciting. They're losing their jobs. No one is sticking up for them. No one's actually taken up the cause of the average Joe. The people who have played by the rules, the people who did a good job, the people who went to work every day, the people who are promised a pension and now they're not getting one. And so Donald Trump is the person who we see actually standing up for the common person, the little guy, the blue collar worker, the hard hat. Donald Trump is the person who's willing to take on the corporate interests, the media, the globalists, the people who are corrupt, the people who make money off of politics. He's the person who's willing to call them on their BS. And at the end of the day, it's going to take someone who's as gross, someone who's as uncouth, someone who's willing to say what's on their mind, someone who has made mistakes. Yes, at one point he was a limousine liberal. Yes, at one point he was a Democrat, but he's seen the light. He's seen the light, and he can tell you right now that America is the greatest country on earth. No country can even hold a candle to it, and we're not going to bow down to the Chinese, and we're not going to bow down to the Europeans, and we're not going to bow down to the media. And that is upholding human dignity. It's upholding the American dream, which is built on Christian principles. It's upholding the sanctity of life. It's upholding the Constitution. And even if he gets it wrong sometimes, even if he bumbles over his words and stumbles over his words, even if sometimes he sounds like he doesn't get it, he's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's not a constitutional lawyer. He's not one of your fancy politicians. He's not a lifetime appointee to the Supreme Court in a robe. He doesn't have that security. He's had to build his own life. And that's the case for Donald Trump. The case for Donald Trump is he's not going to give in to the pressures of the cultural elite. He's not sitting on some throne of, of, of easy kind of living. He's not, he's not someone who came up in the uh, Ivy, uh, I, Ivy League ivory towers. He is the person who's going to represent the little guy, and that is the case for Donald Trump. Okay, I'm going to go and throw up in a room somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really good. <laughs> But, that was my best. That's the yeah, best I've got. I just feel like that's a great 2016 pitch for Donald Trump. Because we've had four years of that, and that's what I'm talking about with narrative. Like, if you're a Christian and you think that he doesn't care about what the media thinks, over the last four years, it has been made abundantly clear that that's all he cares about. And if... Listen, I give you my best shot. No, I'm just... I'm just I did my best. I, I did I'm my not, best. I'm not judging your best. I'm just saying that's where I'm struggling because campaign trail Trump, this wild card of someone who will say things that we're not supposed to say anymore and all these different things, sure, in the future of could-ofs, but like over the last four years, none of that has happened. He has not been a vanguard for a return to political incorrectness that definitely didn't happen he has not been someone who has provided anything to those small town communities that like that's where i struggle with it's like can you believe in a candidate because of what he promises but do we have as christians also have a responsibility to recognize a grifter 
and just to say what appears to me to be, judging from his tax reforms, is definitely not a care unless you're going to really put all of your faith into trickle-down economics, which is exactly the type of anti-elitism that, I mean, that's anti Like saying the elites, by giving more money to the elites, you'll finally get money is the exact opposite of that platform. And like, I'm just trying, I'm really, I'm not trying to say this to just be like problematic. I really want to know right now, 2020, the Donald Trump we have seen for four years, someone who goes back and forth on things, someone who starts trade wars, ends trade wars when they don't work out when he wants them to. Let's just say not ideologically consistent. Yeah. In his own narrative, he is not performing. We still do not have a wall. We still do not have any of the things that were promised by Donald Trump. And so I think, like, any reasonable person could say, either I need a new narrative, which is there's a super, super deep, 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 deep state that he's fighting, and that's why this all looks so weird. Or he... I'm just trying to figure it out. Well, I'll give you the real answer. The real answer from people that I know that are super sane, super thoughtful people who are going to vote for Donald Trump this year in 2020. Mm -hmm. This is the uniting factor. They believe that he is not great. Mm -hmm. That he makes a lot of mistakes. That he's not the best president. But that he's better than the alternative of allowing... um, to borrow a phrase, the left to continue to dominate not only American politics but American culture in a way that will be irrevocable and irreversible. Things like uh, speech policing, people not literally having constitutional freedoms that are guaranteed by the Bill of Rights because they're being infringed upon by not just political correctness but by destroying the lives of people who don't say the right thing or think the right thing, the thought police, the kind of 1984 Big Brother level stuff, the people that that see, that see can cite examples of people's lives being destroyed because the mob has come for them and say, I don't want to vote people into positions of power who will support this kind of thing. Yeah. And I would say I, I just don't think he has anything to do with that. I think that if you want that to stop, that's a cultural issue and... Donald Trump as a laughing stock for the liberal lead, he's going to be a laughing stock if he gets four more years. And if there's and I, if he gets four more years, I very much doubt there will be a Republican president after that. But if there is, even that person will look back on Donald Trump and say, I'm not Donald Trump. And that's where I'm really struggling is I'm I think everything you just said is valid and true, and but just judging it by its own criteria, it's just, if Donald Trump was Jimmy Carter, if he was a peanut farmer that fell off the street and was just like, hey y'all, what's politics? I'm here to this do- This was the- a president of the United States in the 70s. It was a different time. <laughs> I'm here to like do things right. And that's my whole platform is I'm just a good guy. Donald Trump- is a million is a is a millionaire so it's like it's an elite it's like a disney movie it's like that disney i almost said the f word i'm so sorry (laughs) it's like that disney short film about money 
Yes. It's like, why is a giant, huge corporation that's like a leviathan telling children what money is? And that's how I view Donald Trump, where it's like, if he was a coal miner, sure. If he won the Little Ball League, and he had sex with every straightest woman ever, and he had the whitest, blondest babies, and they all had ash on their face, and he had to wait in line to get insulin for his grandma who only had her dad's car still and it was like really hard and the coal mine shut down and he somehow made it to Washington sure but instead it's like oh my dad gave me $200,000 and I started investing in real estate in New York City it's someone who is an elite selling something that keeps elites in power and that to me is the fundamental flaw of it I do not disrespect conservative people. I think if you are conservative and you have reasons for it, I probably disagree with you. Hell, I probably would argue with you in public. But to fully look me in the face and say Donald Trump is going to change, I'm sick of huge elites lying to everyone to keep themselves in power. And then your answer to that is Donald Trump. That is the question that I have. So that is it. Can you be a Christian after these four years and go, hells yeah, I'm really into this. This is Gucci. Tell me. No, that's good. I think that's a really good place to leave it. And I think, I don't think it's impossible for someone to prefer Donald Trump with really good reasons. I just think they would have to answer all the questions that you just asked. Yeah. They would have to overcome great um, obstacles. Yeah. And I think... I How mean, do you deal with the model fiasco? To be fair, there's also some questions with people like Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, right? Real humans who would like to be the president of the United States. Yeah. There are just some questions. Yeah. Some questions that we could all have. It's just that when I vote for Joe Biden and he says, I'm going to do these things as I run for Senate or wherever <laughs> he thinks he is, that's fine. But I don't, I know what I'm buying with Trump. I feel like he sold a bunch of iron, rust belt, steel mill, coal miner, whatevers on one side, and a bunch of people who think he's going to be a return to educated liberalism in America because the left is the enemy in that front. Sure. Cool. Do you not have mirrors in your house? But like, it's really crazy to me i'm sorry i know i'm ranting no no it's i just this is what we come here for it's just exactly what you said i would we listened so you know we listened to one of our older podcasts postmodern trump and before we started this one just as a refresher and in that very hopeful not hopeful but just like oh, you know, he's just trying to, like, shake things up because that's what he sold in the campaign. Yeah. If we had that same podcast right now, I would not say he's a postmodern president. Yeah. Unless by postmodernist you mean... Absurd. Just a total actor. Yeah. Like a bad faith actor in a system that hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people are like, yeah, this is great. He's really doing it. He's sticking up for me. I need my unemployment check, but I'm voting for Trump. Like those people. Those are the questions I have. Sorry. And I think that's a really good question. It's a good place to leave it because 
for this, our first episode back. After a while, in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of a, of a crisis, I think these are interesting questions to ask because people are going to still have to make decisions. People are still going to have to decide, am I going to vote for a certain person or a certain other person? We didn't even really talk a lot about Sleepy Joe because I think, honestly, he's defined by being the not Trump in most yeah. ways, right? And so people have to decide, do I want the Trump or do I want the not Trump? That's basically what we're banking on. Yeah, in the midst of a global pandemic. And, and, and we're going to bring you more thoughts on these things. Everyone's at home. Everyone's watching Netflix or something, Disney Plus, and hopefully listening to podcasts. And we're going to bring you more. And for the time being, uh, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And Rick. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.